Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. All right, Romans chapter 8. Meet me at the top. We're continuing our teaching series through Romans chapter 8 this summer. I'm sure by now you know how to find Romans chapter 8 in your sleep. We have gone there so many times in such a good way. And uh, so I would encourage you to find Romans chapter 8 as we get into our message today. I hope that you have come to love this fantastic chapter in the Bible as much as I have. You know, one of the reasons I love Romans chapter 8 and one of the reasons why it has become so uh, meaningful to so many of God's people for 2,000 years now is because it's a story of victory and victory and victory and more victory in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, as we saw just last week when Pastor Rob and Pastor Josh and his wife Kathleen brought a tremendous message of God's goodness in the midst of challenge, Romans chapter 8 actually reads something like this. Victory, 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 not victory. Because beginning in verse 18, as you saw last week, there are some times in the lives of God's people that are filled with challenge and filled with friction and tension and pain. How many of you know that following Jesus Christ is not all candy and sunshine? How many of you know that? Yes, absolutely. Because following Jesus Christ still means that there will be some times of darkness when we truly walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the good news. Romans chapter 8 says that even in the midst of all of those frustrations and challenges, God is for you. God is for you. And we're going to read this morning from one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. And this morning we are going to see with no uh, shadow of doubt whatsoever that God is absolutely for us even in the midst of our deepest sorrow. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot of good news for you and for me this morning, straight from the Word of God. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, that the Spirit of God is for you. That's so blatantly obvious in verses 26 and 27. The Spirit of God is for you. Now, the language used in verse 26 is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit helps us in times of distress, in times of difficulty. Now, that should not surprise us because Jesus Christ himself framed the discussion in exactly that language. In the Gospel of John, for example, John chapter 15, excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That was, that was Jesus' words for the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, 
to be with you forever. Again, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then John 15, verse 26. Then the Helper comes, or when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now you say, Pastor Phil, the Spirit is our helper, yes. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us. But in what way does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, again, what does the Bible say? Go right back to the Scripture, verse 26. The Spirit intercedes for us. What does that mean? It basically means, in plain language, the Holy Spirit prays for us on our behalf, especially when we don't even know how to pray. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place in your life when you were facing such tremendous burden, you didn't even have words for prayer? I've been there. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf when we don't even know how to pray. But guess what? Jesus is also doing the same thing. How about that? Check this out. This is what it says in Romans 8, verse 34. We'll talk about this next week. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7 likewise says this in verse 25. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The famous Scottish pastor from the 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, said this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Jesus Christ is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. What could that possibly mean other than that the power of God is on your side even in the midst of your worst moments? Now, as I said, I've been there, as so many of you have as well, years ago. Of course, many of you know my personal testimony of how I came to, to faith in Jesus, but also I grew up in a home that was uh, less than ideal, a lot of dysfunction. My dad was an alcoholic, a lot of fighting, a lot of tension in my home, just a lot of dysfunction even beyond that. Uh, and, and, and at the same time, as a, as a kid and as a teenager and even as a young man, there was something in my mind that said, well, at least my parents are still married. I mean, at least we're all under the same roof together. There was, there was some kind of consolation uh, for me, even at least in that. Right? Well, then I joined the Marines and uh, spent a few years in the Marines. I was actually out of Camp Pendleton in California when I was 22 years old. I had about six months left in the Marines before I got out. And I was making my weekly phone call home, uh, back to Florida. And of course, back in those days, you had to go find a phone booth, right? I mean, you didn't have cell phones and all, you just go to the phone booth. So I'm in my phone booth there, talking to my parents. And that's when they told me, we are getting a divorce. Now, I will tell you, friends, I mean, any thinking person could have seen that coming from a million miles away. And yet, at the same time, it, it absolutely hit me like a thunderclap, and it absolutely just disoriented me and rocked my world. That my parents, See, I had, I had seen many of my friends' parents get divorced over the years, but I thought, that's them. At least my parents are still married. But even that then went away. And I will tell you, for what it's worth, you know, we talk about how divorce is hard on the small kids. Well, it's kind of hard on the big kids, too, right? And, and, 
And for about two to three days, and remember, I had been saved now at this point in time, I'd been saved for about four years. And I was a growing follower of Jesus. Listen, I was serious about following Jesus Christ. And yet for about two to three days, I didn't even know what to pray. I literally did not know what to pray. I couldn't even think of words to say to pray. But, but according to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit was praying on my behalf all of that time that I didn't even know how to pray. That's incredible to know that the Spirit of God is for you. What are you facing right now? So some of you parents are going through hell on earth because of decisions your children are making. Some of you are facing physical challenges, cancer, other physical debilitating things. So some of you are facing things that I can't even imagine. And maybe you too are in a place where you don't even know how to pray. May I simply tell you that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Jesus Christ is interceding for you. God is for you. Hey, here's the second thing. Let's go to verse 28. The second thing is this. The goodness of God is for you. If the Spirit of God is for you, how about this? The goodness of God is for you. The goodness of God, Romans 8, 28. Now, of course, uh, this is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. In fact, I would tell you that it's probably one of the top two verses in the entire Bible. John 3.16 being the other. Of course, when we talk about John 3.16 and Romans 8.28, what we're really saying is John 3.16 is the greatest verse in the Bible for lost people. People who don't know Jesus. People who have never been saved. Why? Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the entire world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know what that tells me? Salvation is available for everybody. For everybody. But it's not automatic. And every single person has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. Either to receive him by faith and follow him as Savior and Lord, and receive forgiveness of sins and heaven here and hereafter, or to decide against Jesus Christ and to remain separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever. That's John 3.16. The greatest verse in the Bible for lost people. Well, if that's the greatest verse in the Bible for lost people, Romans 8.28 is the greatest verse in the Bible for Christians, for people who follow Jesus. Why? Because that's the verse that tells us for those who love God, that is for those who follow God, who, who obey God, who know God, those are all synonymous God's goodness is working out His purposes in their lives. That's Romans 8, 28. A couple things we need to see about Romans 8, 28. First of all, this. Watch this. God is good, and He does good. Now, when we talk about the fact that God is good, we're talking about one of God's attributes. Okay, That's kind of a fancy theological concept. God has many attributes. Those are those characteristics and qualities of God that don't change. They're timeless, they describe who God is, not primarily what He does, but who God is. And then out of an overflow of who God is, that's how He acts. God is good, and therefore He does good. Okay, we, we see this throughout the Bible. I could just give you a few examples right here. Look at this, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then this, Nahum 1, verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Jesus Christ, by the way, Jesus Christ said the exact same thing, Mark 10, verse 18. Jesus said, no one is good except God 
And then, of course, talking about being and doing, Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and you do good. See, God is good regardless of what, what you see going on in your life, what you see going on in this world, how, how, you, how you perceive that God is working in your life. It doesn't matter. God is good. That is at the central core of who God is. But here's the other thing I need you to see. And by the way, if, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, you need to remember this. Take a picture of it. Write it down. Here it is. Our good God and His divine sovereignty infuses everything with his good purpose let me say that again our good god in his divine sovereignty infuses everything with his good purpose let me explain that to you from the bible okay so let's let's remember the story in john chapter 9 where jesus came and he healed a young man who was blind he was born blind he had been blind his entire life and let's, let's be reminded of, of how God infuses everything with purpose. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, sometimes we say, man, these circumstances are getting the best of me. And yet God is even somehow, some way, in the midst of those circumstances, infusing everything with purpose. With purpose. You know, I had the opportunity many times over the years to walk with people through difficult times. As a pastor, as a chaplain, I'm reminded of one situation, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago now. I was a chaplain with the Army Rangers, and... Uh, there was a, a young couple in our unit, a young lieutenant and his wife named uh, Brandon, his wife's named Brooke, good Christian people. Uh, my wife and I became good friends with Brooke and Brandon. Uh, she was pregnant with their first child when uh, Brandon and, and, and Brooke, or, or Brandon and I went forward. Uh, actually, we were, our unit was spread across Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, I was in Afghanistan at the time. Brandon was in uh, Iraq, and uh, probably about, I don't know, a month or so into that deployment Brandon sent me an email and he said he said Phil I got to tell you something uh, Brooke just had some tests done of course he's in Iraq she's back in Georgia okay she Brooke just had some tests done and and overall the baby is healthy she was now she's pregnant two or three months now uh, the baby is overall healthy except there there is a there's a critical uh, deformity in, in in our baby's skull and 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 Part of, part of the baby's brain is not there. Um, the doctors are telling Brooke initially that she could carry this, our baby to term. The baby would be born and then probably has minutes, if not a couple hours to live, and then the baby will be, will be deceased. Um, we had the, the doctor actually told Brooke she should just go ahead and induce labor now and uh, not to delay the inevitable. Brooke's grandmother has actually offered to pay for Brooke to have an abortion so that she would not have to deal with this for six more months and then experience the pain of giving birth to a, a baby that's going to soon thereafter die. Phil, what do you think, man? What do you think? Those are the kind of moments where you obviously have to go to the Lord in deep prayer and say, God, please give me some wisdom here. And so I, I took a little time and prayed and, and put together a little email response to Brandon. I was actually going to be in Iraq in another uh, month after, after that, so I was able to, 
talk with him in person, but I wanted to send him something, and this is just a, a little bit of what I shared. The reason I share this is just to let you know that this, this is the kind of thing, when you, when you see John chapter 9, what, how do you say that God infuses things with purpose, right? I said, Brandon, Shara and I uh, were praying for you and Brooke on the phone this evening. We love you both, and Shara is especially brokenhearted over the news. We're grateful that you both have a deep faith in Jesus. Where could any of us go without it? The first thing that truly comes to my mind is the word purpose. We believe that God is not about chance or randomness, that he has purpose for everything that happens, and I shared with him the same scripture I just shared with you, John 9, 1 through 3. I said I'd like to point out that a, that a crisis oftentimes has nothing to do with our own actions, that is, the blindness could not be attributed to anyone's sin or misconduct. Shara told me that Brooke, to some degree, uh, has been wondering if there was anything that she had done physically or otherwise that might have caused this to happen to your baby. I said, again, I go back to the word purpose because it's broader than anything that we can do or could have done. Uh, so back to the question, what, what is God's purpose in this difficulty? I said, my best guess is that uh, he has somehow engineered these circumstances so that through your response, he might get the glory and that his broader purposes might be highlighted. So in my humble opinion, this is how I think God may be working. I said, first, assuming that the worst-case scenario was confirmed next week, she was going for a follow-up just to confirm that this truly was the case in, in her body. If you and Brooke decide to allow God to determine the time when he takes your little baby to heaven, either shortly after birth or perhaps through a miscarriage during the pregnancy, then you, then you have erred on the side of life. You, you will have erred on the side of life. I would guess that you're receiving numerous recommendations to induce labor as early as possible or have an abortion in order to hasten the inevitable and avoid the burden of it all. Our culture certainly leans in that direction, doesn't it? That's all the more reason why erring on the side of life would be so supernatural. I said, second, I recently read a book called The 10-10-10 Principle. The author says that we should consider how a decision will affect our lives 10 minutes from now, 10 months from now, and 10 years from now. I think of your little baby, and I wonder how your decisions in the next few weeks will affect your lives according to that principle. If you induce labor or seek an abortion in the next few weeks, how will you feel about that 10 years from now? On the other hand, if your baby is delivered in God's due time and you have even a few minutes or hours with your child, will those few minutes or hours of life outweigh the emotional and physical difficulties that the next six months present? And then lastly, I said, I said God might intend to cultivate a tenderness of heart that you would otherwise not have had, which will allow you to minister to other couples who deal with similar circumstances. God will comfort you, make no mistake about that, and, and you will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that you received. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any troubles with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Yes, the painful truth is that God can only prepare us for such a ministry through difficulties of our own. And then I close simply by saying, Brandon, regardless of what you choose, Shara and I will love you and support you and Brooke. You are wonderful people who shine like stars in the darkness of the Army Ranger culture. Thank you for being open to my encouragement and advice. I love you, brother. You know, you walk with people like that and, and, and people through those kind of circumstances, and you have to have the Word of God. I mean, what in the world could you possibly say to someone uh, with, with, with any substantive uh, depth if you, if you didn't have the Word of God? 
You say, well, Pastor Phil, that's, that's kind of the circumstantial stuff. You know, we, we see stuff happening to people that can't really be traced to any specific thing or, or person or, or bad cause. I mean, but, but what about when, when, some, when somebody does something bad to me, right? I mean, because let me tell you, Pastor Phil, there's somebody in my life who's, who's done something really bad to me, and, and, and I don't see how God could possibly use that or infuse that with purpose. Well, again, what does the Bible say? You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph's brothers. You talk about dirty deeds done dirt cheap. I mean, this guy got sold down the river and just he kept going down, 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 down. And yet at the whole end of the day, looking back through, through the lens of, of God's purpose, this is, what, this is the culmination. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, you know what Joseph was basically saying? Let's put that statement up on the screen one more time. Our good God in his divine sovereignty infuses everything with his good purpose. Even when someone deliberately, maliciously, vindictively comes against you, God will somehow, some way, infuse even that with a good purpose. I'm not saying I know how exactly and all the little details, but I will tell you I believe that it's true. Now, let's talk about the first two words in verse 28 real quick, because this is where a lot of good, well-meaning Christian people get in trouble. First two words, look at it right there, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the first two words are, we know, right? We know. doesn't say we feel or we sense or we think, but we know. And what that tells you is that Romans 8.28 is a head statement. It is a statement of fact, of ironclad, bulletproof, right as rain truth. It, it's, it's, it's a head statement. It's fact. But, but here's the problem. The problem is that the times when we need Romans 8.28 the most are not head statements, they are heart situations, right? When do we need Romans 8.28 the most? In the ICU, when a, when a child is laying in that bed and all we hear is beep, 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 beep. That's when we need to know that God, that, that His goodness is for us, or, or maybe... Maybe at the funeral home, at the, at the, at the funeral home, and, and you're standing there and, and, and someone is grieving the loss, especially if it's unexpected and there's a tragedy involved and all the rest, and, and, and we need the truth of Romans 8.20, but that's a heart moment. That's when, we're, that's when we're overwhelmed by the ocean of emotion. And the problem is, this oftentimes, you know this, it oftentimes leads to those cringe-worthy moments when a well-meaning Brother or sister in Christ steps up to a grieving person and says, well, you know, all things work together for good. doesn't work in that moment, see? Because you're taking a head statement and you're trying to put it into a heart situation. It's like trying to cram a, a, a square peg into a round hole. Boom, boom, boom. It just doesn't fit. Now, ideally, God's people have already internalized this kind of truth, Right? Because if they've already internalized this kind of truth and it's become part of who they are, then when tragedy strikes, there's a reflex. 
to fall back onto God's goodness, right? There's a, there's a, that's why Josh and Kathleen were able to say last week that even in the midst of their tragedy, even in the midst of the death of their child, they still found a peace. Why? Because they had already internalized God's truth, right? So that in the heart moments, the truth of God's Word just took over. The problem is that for a lot of people, I'm talking about people who, who are on the periphery of, of, of God's, God's people, people who might occasionally wander in a church, people who occasionally read their Bibles, if that. The problem is when they're hit with tragedy, they don't have that to lean back on. And so to step into someone's life like that and say, well, you know, all things work together, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's the, it's the square peg in the round hole. It doesn't work. All the more reason why we should be leaning into God in the good times so that when tragedy does come, we, we already have that reflexive response. But I'll tell you this, and I want to say it one more time. This is, this is it. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, this is what you need to understand. Our good God, in His divine sovereignty, infuses everything with His good purpose. So, we see that the Spirit of God is for us. We see that the goodness of God is for us. But here's one other thing I want you to see. God's golden chain of salvation is for you. All right, verses 29 and 30, two power-packed statements that basically say God's golden chain of salvation is for you. You say, Pastor Phil, what in the world are you talking about? God's golden chain of salvation. I've never heard that before. Okay, well, traditionally, uh, when we talk about God's golden chain of salvation, or sometimes you'll hear someone talk about the order of salvation, these are all of the steps and all of the things that God puts into our salvation. And I'm not just talking about that moment when you pray to receive Christ, because we know from the Bible that, yes, you're saved when you trust Christ. You're being saved, in a sense, throughout the process of becoming more like Jesus, and ultimately one day you will be saved when you step into glory. Right? That's, that's the language, language we see in the Bible. Right Now, verses 29 and 30 give us almost every single link in this golden chain of salvation except a couple but as you step back and you look at the Bible the entire Bible you see every link of this chain and I'll give them to you right here look at this here they are God's golden chain of salvation starts with foreknowledge you see that in Romans predestination some in some place in the Bible it calls election calling faith regeneration justification sanctification and glorification now I know when I put all those up on the screen, raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Such as, Pastor Phil, what is foreknowledge, and how is that related to our faith in Jesus? Or, for that matter, everybody always wants to know, what's this predestination or election thing, and how is that related to our faith in Jesus Christ? How about this? What's the relationship between faith and regeneration? Which comes first, faith and then regeneration? or regeneration and then faith. And then what's all this talk of justification, sanctification, and glorification? What's going on with that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay. And here's the thing. The idea this morning is not to dive deep into each one of these. That wasn't Paul the Apostle's idea either when he wrote Romans 8, 29, and 30. The good news is that in October and November, we're actually going to do an entire teaching series on Sunday mornings right here at Crossgate Church simply called We believe okay, and we're going to be talking in, in the months of october and november about the basics of the christian faith so we are going to talk all about this 
and a lot more as well in October and November. But the main point of what Romans 8 is about when it gets into this golden chain of God's salvation in verses 29 and 30 is the last word, okay? Is the last word. Because the same root word for the last word of verse 30 is also seen in verse 18, which is the beginning of this passage that talks about God's goodness in the midst of our challenges. Let's put verse 18 back up there and remind ourselves what that says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory, all right, get that, the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, verse 30, look at this. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Same concept, same root word. You see the connection. Paul is basically closing the circuit on this entire argument that says God is for you even in the midst of your greatest challenges, whatever they may be. You can't pray about it? Holy Spirit's going to intercede. You're, you're wondering what in the world's going on here? You can know that God, God's goodness is somehow being infused in His purpose of your situation. And ultimately, we see uh, among all of these things that God is doing in the lives of His people, ultimately, it leads to that glory. What does that say to you? May I simply tell you that it says that whatever God began in you, He will complete. Right? In spite of the challenges, in spite of the pain, and as we saw in last week's passage, whatever it is that we're experiencing on this earth now doesn't even hold a candle to the glory that awaits the children of God. Or, to simply put it in a nutshell, Philippians 1.6, many of you know this by heart, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Your physical challenges health challenges, emotional, you know, there's no pain like family pain, isn't that right? Some of you are dealing with some incredible family pain right now. Again, maybe some of your children or, or grandchildren are making decisions that are absolutely destroying you personally and emotionally. Um, whatever it is we face, will not have the last word. It doesn't get the last say in our lives. That's one of the big takeaways from Romans chapter 8. At the end of the day, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus in spite of all the other challenges that you may face. But let me ask you a question as we close this message out. Has he begun a good work in you? Are you saved? Do you know for certain that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? Has there been a time in your life when you have without a doubt said, Jesus, I do believe I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day. And I believe you're holding out that free gift of eternal life. Listen to me right now. Some of you may be here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ personally. You've never gotten your salvation settled to the degree that you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you'd immediately be in heaven with Christ. You haven't even taken that first step. We always ask the question, what's your next step at Crossgate Church? Well, the first step is to receive Jesus by faith, having your sins forgiven and receiving eternal life. Heaven is both here and hereafter. 
We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.